0: to hold up a sign and dance around, and i kind of like, well, you know, so what's this title company about?
1: Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Welcome to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I Appreciate you tuning into this episode. I am with a very good friend of mine today, Renee Fabre. This is going to be an unstructured conversation. I mean, I think we know where we're going to go a little bit, but just hang in there. If you don't like what we're talking about, it'll change in 10 minutes and you'll have a new topic. So, Renee, welcome. Thanks for being here.
0: Uh, thanks, Scott, man. It's good to get together with you.
1: Yeah. So Renee, you and I have known each other for quite some time now and um in professional paths have crossed lots of times and all that, but we we also kind of have a shared uh interest in, in history, music, and community. So I thought today I'd first off, I'd like you to give the audience your your background. Tell tell the audience who you are
0: and a little bit about you. Oh my gosh. Uh yeah, well, there's a story. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'm, you know, kind of officially a, an old guy now since my uh, birthday was yesterday. But, um, yeah, I what I've been in the title insurance business for. This is my 38th year, and I had a career before that, which was music. So I grew up in a music household and. In a neighborhood called Erlington in Renton, my dad was a musician, so I had a an accordion strapped to me at about three and a half years old and I did that until I was well into my thirties and Then one day I showed up at a title company and kind of um I just you know caught my interest and it was Kind of a neat blend of stuff i mean because i've besides music i've always been kind of a tech nerd and and a marketing kind of guy so um yeah so it was supposed to be a summer job and uh or know, 30, 38 summers worth 38 summers worth yeah so well, kind of, my my introduction to the industry ironically was one of my musicians friends and uh Steve Johnson and a uh, great saxophone player oh my god uh and we played a lot of years together and he was a a, a manager for manpower downtown Seattle and out of desperation one one summer and at uh, 84 uh he gave me a call and he goes oh man I got a job to fill could you help me out and I go, yeah, sure, what's up? And he goes, well, this title company called me. I don't know what they are. You know what? I, what's a title company? They're like lawyers or something like that, you know? And, And it was just like god could you just you know put a white shirt on and a tie and just like show up you know so i could fill this job and he goes and you know and uh and and to back up just a sec from from that he goes well i got two jobs for you actually one's a title company and one was to be a vlasic pickle on the corner of fourth and university (laughs) To hold up a sign and dance around, and I kind of like, Well, you know, so what's this title company about? Oh my god, yeah! So, and that's the story. I mean, it just kind of went from there, and it's like, (laughs) Talk about a square peg fitting in a round hole. I was just like, Not your usual candidate, but I just was kind of that oddball that fit in that was always the guy with the weird idea. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, uh, and and, and like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that it lasted 38 years. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, let me, let me pause you here for a second because one of the things that we all do is we all talk in the abbreviations and shorthand of our industries, right? We all, and you and I are both in, you know, the real estate business, but so to me, title insurance, I know exactly well, I don't know. That, I don't know that I know exactly what title insurance is. I shouldn't say that. But for our listeners, what define title insurance?
0: In a nutshell, to keep it really, really simple, it's an insurance that look that that looks backwards, not forwards. So we're not insuring you in a sense into the future we're guaranteeing that the past was the past and this is the way it is today. And our insurance policy will cover that and protect you.
1: So let's, let's elaborate a little bit because once again, I understand, but I'm going to, let's just assume that help me out for the next time I'm talking to a client and they're asking me, why, why do I have to have title insurance? But so you're looking at the chain of ownership and ensuring that what we call clouds on title, you're ensuring that there's nothing out there against that property that could negatively harm the new owner.
0: Is that fairly? That's fairly. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're spot on and it also includes, things like uh when you buy a piece of property sometimes it's not always that neat and tidy because that property is subject to or includes things that go with the land even though you sell it it doesn't erase things from the past i mean everything from like an irs lien to an easement to water and mineral rights to you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, it, and, and in a sense, what it, it's also doing is, did the person that sold you the property actually have the right to sell you that? And do they actually own it? Or are there any skeletons in the closet that might have a claim for that title?
1: Let's jump off from there. Because let's go back in time now using, using this model. Washington State has been around since, what, 1869 is the statehood date,
0: correct? 1889.
1: Wow, here we are on the Exploring Washington State podcast, and we don't know when the state yeah, was officially a yeah. state. Okay, we like, oh, man. Here I you got, go, folks. That, Fact check like everything you hear today.
0: 1889,
1: something like that. Okay. Yeah. So how was land ownership recorded historically going backwards. Cause nowadays everything's in a computer. We can search for stuff. Boom, boom, boom. we got lots of data, but going back hundred plus years ago, how are those records kept? And how is, how does the title insurance policy go all the way back there from a historical standpoint? Cause that's, that's what's interesting because I buy a piece of land in Wenatchee. I'm not the first person to have bought it. It's, been owned by a series of other people or entities through through the years. How did we first start describing and saying, "Okay, this piece of land is blah blah blah"? From a historical standpoint, how did we? How did that happen?
0: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, to me, I'm just like a on a deep dive this whole year because I just wrote a new class on it. So, I mean, the whole thing. There's such a rich history, but really, it kind of gets going when Lewis and Clark came out here because, you know, Thomas Jefferson sent them out here to hurry up and get to the Oregon Territory Mm -hmm. because we had the Brits out here also. And we had just picked up the Louisiana Purchase and the Southwest from you know, the Spanish-Mexican whole thing, you know, all of this stuff is kind of happening at the same time. So there was a big urgency to get out here and fill up that northwest corner and claim it. Mm -hmm. But we needed a way to do it because if you think back, our original 13 colonies Uh, use the British system and that was meets and bounds. So that's basically, you know, I stick a stake in the ground and I follow the Creek, you know, bearing Northwest 300 feet. And then I take a left at the big pile of rocks and I walk down to the Oak tree, you know, and you know, that all of this stuff is described. Well, if you're trying to open up the West and do it quickly, How the heck are you going to do that if that's what you have to deal with? Everybody is just literally staking out a claim, right? Putting a stake in the ground and describing the property. That's going to be nuts. So they came up with uh, uh, a system that became the public land survey system. And it it was basically dividing everything into squares and rectangles. And the way they did that was in, uh, you know, like 1850 to incentivize people to settle here. They did the donation land claim, and that meant anybody in the north, in the northwest here in the Oregon Territory—not for the whole country, but just the north here in the northwest and that was like uh, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, a little bit of Montana and Wyoming to to begin with, is uh, we need to base a survey from some sort of ground zero place. So the ground zero place is what we call now the Willamette Meridian. So in a little park, like not even two miles out of downtown Portland to the west up on the hill, they drove a stake in the ground and they said, this is ground zero. And then they went north to the Canadian border from that stake and south to the California border. And then they went east and west from the ocean to Idaho. So they, you know, put a, you know, kind of a, you know, just marked their matrix there. So they had a meridian and a baseline. Um what's fascinating to me is you still see that in in legal descriptions today. I mean if you buy a property even today, you know, it'll say, you know, section 18, township 23 north, range 5 east, Willamette Meridian. And that's referring to that ground zero point.
1: So what years was this happening?
0: And, and this is- started like in 1850. Okay. Yeah. So, so they went north to Puget Sound. So they went through between Olympia and Yelp and then, uh, you know, through Centralia. I mean, they just drove a line north, took them 74 days from the initial date uh, Mm in 1851. uh, They marched through the woods and marked trees every half mile up to Puget Sound to start it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I. It's fascinating that they could do that. I mean, because like you said, we're such in a digital world. Oh, we could just do that from satellite now. You know, what I mean, well, like, I
1: don't know what traffic if it would take more than seventy four days to go from Portland. I'm,
0: I'm amazed so that just, it only took them that long when you consider that there was probably only a couple of indigenous trails.
1: Yeah, that actually, when you think about it like that, that is that is pretty amazing. So that's how this—that's how the land, the description of land was started. Right. The so 1950s. they did
0: town. Okay. They did what's called um, townships, and a township is six miles by six miles. So there's 36 sections in a township. So okay. I mean, if you just march north from that starting point in Portland. You know, every six miles is going to declare a new township. So, and then that would be a square of thirty-six miles. Now, forever since the fifteen hundreds, you know, we kind of look. Uh, one of the default descriptions of land is how many acres do you have? Mm-hmm. And so, acre was a you know, um, you know, kind of a you know, very common term. So you know, like in a section, you got 640 acres and they wanted to keep the math simple. So the recording of it would be simple. So, you know, if you divide 647 times, you end up with even numbers all the way down to five acres. Okay. And then of course, you know, we have lots of property these days, you know, that are under five acres, of course, but but um, they were given the land away at, you know, 320 acres and a whack.
1: Okay. And that was to spread out so that the British wouldn't spread in, if you will. Yeah, because
0: we needed, if we had Americans, you know, settling here, then we're mm-hmm. establishing a presence because what they were afraid of, and probably duly so because uh, the British already had, Canada but the before the Oregon territory we had what was called the Oregon country and that went about halfway up through BC, and then in what 1848 they had a, so you know they did a treaty or something like that, and then we end up drawing the 49th parallel. But the Brits were claiming everything west of the Columbia River, west and north of the Columbia River. So Washington could have looked a whole lot different <laughs> if they would have won that claim.
1: And we wouldn't have any left turn lanes. We, we wouldn't have any down. left turn
0: lanes. No, <laughs> we'd be out on the Columbia Plateau there. <laughs> okay.
1: So these documents were recorded
0: then. Were they recorded at the state level, or how did they it- had like a territorial um, land office, and that okay. moved around a bit? It started out, I think, in in Olympia, and then. As, the, as time went on, we had a land office in Seattle. So one of my favorite stories is the Shumway Farm in Kirkland, you know, and um, you know, you had to go to the land office, downtown Seattle. And, and, and it, you know, I mean, our joke is always today, you know, is like, well, it's not a joke. I just mean in the sense of the way we perceive time nowadays is the fact that, you know, same day recording. (laughs) Well, there's no same day recording back then because there was no way to record anything other than to bring your documents. The originals show up at the office and they had like a big track book and they literally just copied everything off of whatever those documents were into a tracked book. So it was all handwritten.
1: In your thirty-eight years of doing title insurance, is there any stories that? Well, I mean, there's lots of stories. I know that, but is there any stories that really bubble up to the top for complexity issues? I mean, like a piece of land that you're like, this this was amazing that this got moved around, and you know, you 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 alluded to the Shumway, but things like that. What is what sort of stories do you have that you can share? That might, you know, have a humorous tint to them, if you will.
0: Oh, well, one of my favorite projects that I worked on a long time ago was, uh, do do you know where like Brace Point is? I do not. It's near Three Tree Point. It's kind of over in the and des Moines area. Okay. Okay. Okay, well, I won't mention names, but a famous builder, contractor, construction company dude owned that and he built a great big wall around his property. He had this huge mansion on the bluff, overlooking the sound, you know, and, and, and the neighbors really got upset and alluded to no, the neighborhood has a right to walk down this path to the beach. And so, um, I took it on and, uh, what I found out was a Captain Johnson got a land grant, and in you know, in, it, in and I had to go all the way back to you know like 1851 or something like that. And lo and behold, yes, he rode into it. The neighbors have a right to follow the, that this kind of path that already existed when Captain Johnson got the property. And he goes, oh, of course the neighbors can walk down the path. So in current times, that owner had to actually tear down part of the wall and reopen that because it was mm. it was written in there so that wasn't in our digital system I had to go way way back I had to go to the courthouse a bunch of times and go through old documents and uh, so what prompted this was it a,
1: a buyer was it the, the act of the wall going up by the the property owner or was it a, a new buyer in the neighborhood that said hey wait a second or
0: yeah, was it was the, the, na- it was the neighborhood, and they were just declaring their rights that they had had up until the time that this guy bought the property. Okay. Yeah, and and so and they were saying, "I know it's in the record somewhere," you know. And so I I got, I was the guy that went back and did the research, and yep, here it is, you know. <laughs> so how long did that take you? I uh, I spent a good couple weeks on that one. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: But ultimately, the neighborhood was happy. The guy might not have been happy. The neighborhood was bumped.
0: so happy. Gosh, I don't even know if it shared stuff like this, but, but uh, it was. I finished it up around the beginning of December, and about a week and a half later, one of the spokespeople. He was a. Uh, an Air, Alaska Airlines pilot that lived in the neighborhood. And all, he comes walking in with this great big box. And he goes, Merry Christmas, and puts it on my desk. And I open up the box, and it's like, I got this whole box of booze. <laughs> 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 that was, my, that was my, my, my little spiff for having done all of that. Yeah. Awesome. That was yeah. a really, yeah, that was a cool project, though, too. Justice prevails. What what else?
1: What else about our state in land from a historical standpoint? Because one of the things that we're, we're beginning to talk about on the show is, is we're starting to look backwards at the state, you know, uh, from a historical standpoint, looking, looking in the past now. And so I'm kind of hoping that you can help set some of a foundation Okay. How? Yeah. Anything unusual about the way Washington State was divvied up? Uh, Anything unusual about the way that we kept records? Uh,
0: I would say not in the record keeping, but I would say from uh, a grassroots level about communities. I mean, we've always had. That's kind of one thing I spell out my latest class. I'm not here to solve all the wrongdoings of everybody forever i'm just here to say this is what it is and how it happened but one Mm -hmm. of the a couple of the coolest stories i i discovered was um like centralia and uh a bit north of that is that um George Washington, not the same George Washington, our president, but a guy named George Washington and a, another guy named George Bush and also not a George Bush president, um, were black. Huh? And they were two of our earliest settlers. And they were absolutely wonderful people, raised a family, uh, some of their kids served in uh, in government. um. You, well, hey, when you uh, you're a South Ender, um, you know, when you go down into Olympia off to the left as you're coming into Olympia is Bush Prairie. Right. That's George Bush, the settler that, you know, that. Okay. Uh, and that I mean, that is unheard of. And they were like one of the earliest, earliest settlers here. And <laughs> uh, and the community came together because. Uh, Washington wasn't like a lot of other states. We do, we we didn't have a lot of the racial stuff about owning property, but mm-hmm. they still wouldn't give him his patent. But the community came together because they were so integral to the community and had such good relationships that they all went to the state of Washington and with, you know, a, with a protest in writing that said, no, you need to grant these guys, <laughs> this guy, okay. his property. So, I mean, that to me is, uh, that that's something I'm proud of to look back as a Washingtonian.
1: Yeah. No, that's, 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 I did not know that. That's interesting that, you know, George Washington and, George Bush. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> Interesting. But they escaped. I mean cuz a lot of our early settlement, I mean, we got so much stuff going on. I mean, we've got the war of independence going on and then we're into the war of 1812 and then we're into the civil war and all through all of that mess the west or the northwest is being settled the railroads really made the big difference as far as like you know kind of like bringing people here in mass and i call it mm-hmm. the victorian internet you know when the telegraph <laughs> and the telephone showed up here we actually had just like today we had people back east buying property on spec
1: right right yeah when did um when did the telegraph get out here into
0: into the uh, Seattle, 1880s, Tacoma area yeah 1980s Or it might even be before that, because uh, the first telegraph that arrived in Seattle, uh, gosh, I forget who sent it, but Seattle's first telegraph out of Seattle was to Abe Lincoln, president.
1: Well, that was in the 1860s, then. 1860s,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: It's Saturday. I'm not really clear on my dates.
1: (laughs) He didn't know this was going to be a history test. I didn't know this was a history test. I was yeah,
0: I was prepared for something different. No. Okay. No, just (laughs) just teasing. Just teasing.
1: Well, yeah, because one of the things is, you know, the, the, the railroad, the transcontinental railroad uh, coming out here and ultimately ending in Tacoma. Um, And then, but what's interesting, what, you know, is Walla Walla was a big, part of that. Yes. Uh you know, Walla Walla was a uh, going to be a big Walla Walla certainly looked like it was going to become a big place in the state of Washington.
0: It very much did and who started that one was the Whitman's, right? The Whitman mm-hmm. mission and that that whole thing um yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: And then, you know, with Tacoma getting the choice and they picked they picked the railroad, and then Seattle then got the the college. Uh it, that certainly seemed like the safe bet, right? That that certainly seemed like that was gonna be the it would be Tacoma and then Seattle would be the the smaller place, but it just didn't work out that way.
0: No, and, then there's always been then the rivalry continues, right? Right. Yeah, the rivalry <laughs> continues. And uh you
1: No, know, Washington, we we've had a, a very interesting uh an interesting uh couple hundred years, if you will. And the the land, though, I mean, because, you know, underneath everything is land, not to sound like a, the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the Realtors Association's mantra, you know, underneath all is land. But that's true. Oh, under land, I mean, land is very important. Uh, ownership of land, uh, ownership rights. Yes. Yeah. Water. Um, all of these things are constantly evolving and changing. And, you know, and I'm sure that as we talk to other people, you know, we're, you know, it's, I'm going to, I'd like to get somebody on here to talk about how if you think about all the changes that happened on the Columbia and oh my god, all of the, yeah. all of the, all of the things that happened to the Columbia basin because of, uh, the reclamation projects and things like that. Lots of, lots of very interesting things that have happened, um, well like for
0: instance you know it's like when they put the uh, the ship canal in in seattle mm-hmm. you know to connect lake union the sound lake union and, and 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 lake washington that i ended up lowering lake washington by like six feet six and a half feet or something like that and that All of a sudden, wouldn't you like to have waterfront property in those days? And all of a sudden, uh, the lake's down six feet. You got a whole bunch more. But, but I mean, but we go back in history to, you know, we had uh, coal and timber. And uh gosh, even my you know, my uh like my grandpa, he worked in, in Newcastle in, in the mines, right? You know, and the railroad mm-hmm. used to come around the lake the shortest distance to Seattle, around the lake through Renton up into Newcastle. So speaking of interesting layers of land, literally, hooking around the south end of Lake Washington, I mean, I I did a couple of projects down there where you had all these railroads going through there. Then you had the donation land claim. Then you had a couple of homesteads. Then you had a plat. And all of these were vacated. I mean, so all this stuff ends up stacking up. I think what what people don't know is your history on land exists in layers. Mm-hmm. And those layers never go away. They were there and now there's something else so then it's platted and then a portion of the plats vacated then it's platted over again you know and i would say that's down where the the landing is and rent and you know kind of around mm-hmm. that you know and i just go man that i mean there's so much stuff going on there i got in a project i was just like ah oh. i was down rabbit holes like every day trying to figure out who did what when you know because back in the day once again, you had to go, I mean, before we're talking before, well, I was looking at it on microfiche, but when it was originally recorded, it was handwritten. Mm-hmm. And so the microfiche is only just copies of that handwritten documents. And you got to go through and read all that stuff and figure it out. Like, you know, what layer are we on here and, and how does it progress? So on our modern day plats, you know, we don't we have those issues, but you know, But there's so much history in land around here. It's been around for, you know, forever. But it it is that we end up uh, having something on top of something, on top of something, on top of something. And every once in a while, you're buying buying this cool old house that was built in 1928 on the outskirts of, I don't know, you know, Maple Valley or something. And it's near the river. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like something comes up. And that's an issue that needs to be investigated, so you got to go through all the layers. Right. Because back in, you know, Ought Nine, somebody signed an agreement as a neighbor, and it's in writing, and if it ended up on a deed that it goes, it continues with the property, then, well, that's the way it is. It continues with the property.
1: Right. Yeah, it's always been, uh, you know, as a real estate professional, it's always been, you know, Maddening because we find these things out when we're trying to buy or sell a property. So it's we never find them out when it's convenient.
0: Oh, no, of course not. No, it's, it's, we, it's we always find closing, right?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we and then we have to do damage control and all of that. But but you know the the history of the of the area of the state and of, in the Puget Sound region in particular is is been uh, pretty fascinating to me. And actually, I think you know you you say you you know you, you might have taken a summer job, but you know I think as I've known you through the years, if it's, it's been, um, it, it's, it's a job that fits you. It, 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 it you know, you, you like to uncover and dig. I think,
0: oh, I love the, it. You. And there's nothing more yeah. than I, lo- that I love than diving deep on something. If it ca- catches my interest, I want to right. know everything about it. So I'm just, I just burrow in and go for it. Right. But like I always preach in even my social media classes, it's all about, you know, uh, location, lifestyle, and community. I mean, those things, all, that I mean, that's a resonating principle for me to how I I perceive this whole thing. Yeah. But let's
1: transition pre real estate title now let's go back let's your your musical upbringing your 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 dad your musical career because recently we recorded an episode with with a a piano player who you played with yeah back in green river green river college back in the in the 1970s so, what was it like growing up? So, your dad was a a band leader, correct? Big band?
0: Oh, uh, no, he was uh, an accordion player, and he played uh, uh, clubs. He played all the uh, man, you know, in the late forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, into the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, he played all over all over the Northwest, in particular, uh, you know, the the cool clubs downtown Seattle and. And Tacoma and stuff like that, you know, like uh Canless. I mean, he knew Pete okay. Canless, he played there often. He played at the Serrano Hotel and stuff like that. So we were totally the oddball family in the neighborhood because you know, dad was a musician, played clubs. We had uh, a lot of jam sessions on the weekends and our hours were totally different because he didn't work for Boeing or Pacific card foundry, you know, which which 90% of everybody in Renton did back in those days. Right.
1: So how were you introduced to music? I mean, obviously with dad, dad being a professional musician, but well, when did you start to, you you mentioned when we started, you know, you had an accordion strapped on you at three, but, um, (laughs) Literally. When did you yeah when did you start really taking an active interest in in music and what instrument was it that got you started
0: yeah so well I did the accordion thing and I was proud to do it but then I hit about 12 years old or so and then you know being a guy that was born in 1950 we're talking 1962 and my next door neighbor Cheryl who was a kid that was uh, probably about four years older? Then uh, she had a friend in England that sent her, mailed her an, an album. And sure, shared that with me, invited me over, and we put it on, and it was Meet the Beatles. And I, I think that's the first time I got the, the biggest emotional high about the possibilities of what music was. I was like, I mean, even up, to, even at that time I was doing the local stuff, you know, like the polar here and the Raiders and the Sonics and the Wailers and the Ventures and, you know, the whole fifties things. But it was just kind of like, um, that was like almost like a premonition because it took until another year and a half or so, 63. And all of a sudden we had the English wave, the first English wave mm-hmm. happening. And I was just like totally into that, <laughs> you know? So I, I mean, I always joke. I, I have, uh yeah, I've been, I was like totally in, in like rock bands all the way through my teens and 20s and and uh, what I, I'm, I'm, you can see me, you know, since this is audio
1: format, I'll just, you know, I'm kind of got this bemused look on my face. At least that's what I'd like to think it looks like. Maybe it looks like I'm passing a kidney stone or something. I'm not sure. Um, the fact that you can remember the first time you heard that album because I don't remember the first time I heard the Beatles, they just have always been there. Yeah. But I was watching, have you seen the get back movie?
0: Yes. Yes. So
1: the, 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 what, what you just said, this is what it reminds me of watching get back and they're playing, you know, get back over and over again. Right. They're working on that song and, and then they go up on the rooftop and they're playing it. And you know, it's a Beatles hit. Everybody knows get back. Right. It's just been there. Yeah. But could you imagine what it had been like the first time you heard that? I mean, you're walking the street in London and, you know, the Beatles are, you know, five stories up or whatever it was they were. And you're hearing this song. You're like, well, what song is that? I've never heard that before. <laughs> exactly. And, and yet for me, it's like, it's always been there. And it's always been well known. So I I love the fact that you can point to when you first met the Beatles.
0: Yeah. and And uh, that... I had no idea what journey in life that would take me on. I mean, because I don't like go around thumping a Bible for the Beatles, you know what I mean? I wasn't like totally obsessed with them, but they really shook me off my foundation and showed possibilities because I think I was just like the perfect age, you know? I mean, I was a teenager with angst, playing a guitar, (laughs) you know, just like doing the whole thing and what was so cool about the Beatles is that every time a new record came out, it was almost a new direction. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, if there is, if there is a story of my life, it's kind of like, I call it the Tarzan theory of, you know, direction because I just swing from vine to vine and, you know, you just like you're swinging along and you, Hey, that's the one I can grab. And I just loved I just loved following that whole thing because when I love their early, early stuff, but I also really, I mean, like revolver was the one that just blew me out of the room. You know, and I just like, okay. yeah, now we're going, you know, <laughs> it's
1: like, you know. So let's go back though. Let's let me, let's go back. You, you mentioned, you know, the whalers, the Sonics, Paul Revere and the Raiders and all that. What do you remember of your, you know, of your teen years in the Seattle Renton music scene? What was, what was, what was it like back then?
0: Oh my gosh! You know, um, I always kind of joke that I made more money then than I do now, but I meant, and by that I just mean that every, almost every restaurant, especially every tavern, had live. Local music, at least two nights a week, if not three, and many had five nights a week. You could go down and listen to live music, and it didn't matter if it was Angelo's Tavern or the Hilton Hotel or whatever. Everybody had live music, and um, so I was playing. I was a, I I joined the musicians' union in 1965 so I was 15 years old so I was a member of the musicians union before I got my driver's license (laughs) okay so I had to have you know somebody you know so one of the bass players that we had probably wasn't one of my favorite bass players but he had a driver's license so he got us to the gigs you know
1: back then mid 60s seattle where was your favorite venue to play
0: oh wow well i did some of them i think what uh in the early early days those early days i think the target ballroom was one of my, my favorite places to play it's kind of a toss-up between that and the spanish ballroom over on '99 okay that i mean because uh it wasn't very sophisticated back then you know I mean we just had mm-hmm. about a dozen you know thanks to pat o'day right you know we had uh you know because he kind of put the network of the local local scenes for for mm-hmm. for dances yeah um my favorite kind of club uh, I forget the name of it now, but it's it's the rooftop at the Sereno Hotel in Seattle. Okay, I love that okay. place. That was just such a cool venue to play, and I did that in a number of different guises. I mean, it was really fun. had a Had a couple of bands that played there, and then. Uh, but I also played with uh, God. I forget his name now. But uh, we were strolling guitarists. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I did a couple things well, with that. Let
1: us flip that back then when you weren't playing. Where it was a great place to go see music being performed at?
0: Oh gosh, all the all the usual ones that everybody tells you on uh, uh, you know uh, okay. Jazz Alley, Triple Door. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are always good because they were so intimate. Yeah. So, I can't remember the answer to this question. And since I'm asking, I can. Did you see Hendrix at Six Stadium? Oh yeah, and I saw him at the Coliseum, and I saw him in Portland. And you know, I, s- I joked that Oregon's dead to us on the show. But you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, stepped out of the boundary. <laughs> yeah. <you> we <know?
1: laughs> we'll, we'll we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll no. Yeah. Hendrix.
0: So, so you saw no, like the Beatles. Hendrix totally changed my life because all of a sudden I saw guitar as orchestra. Because okay, to me, he it, just it brought so many. He brought so many different dimensions. It was, it was sound. It was, it was, you know, blues. It was, uh, it was. Uh, yeah, I I don't th- I think it took me years to appreciate that, but I I just he just had a way of expressing himself with a guitar that nobody had ever done before, and it wasn't like you know um, you know excuse me guitar players I went I'm gonna say he was the most proficient mm-hmm. mechanically as a guitar player, but he was probably the most succinctly emotional player okay. of almost all time. I, I mean, to me, his stuff still holds up is just like, okay. I can't believe you said it. And you said it that way, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, okay.
1: What other noticeable or memorable shows have you seen in the, in the greater Seattle area?
0: Oh my God. Well, in, back in the day was uh, Eagles auditorium. So I saw, everybody coming through from hendrix i saw hendrix there too i saw the cream uh you know uh, uh I, I just the doors
1: did you see the dead
0: i saw the dead i saw i mean i i, I was all always there i mean i, I, I hardly missed meant. any of those because it just blew me away that we get to see these people like you know in life mm-hmm. and Festival seating, right? There was no chairs, we just sat on the floor. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Yeah, Seattle was a interesting place in the uh, f- from all that I've gathered, you know, that that predates my concert, you know, lifestyle. Uh but late, you know, mid 70s, late 70s, early 80s, Seattle was still a very interesting place to go see live music um before it got too in my opinion too, you know, corporate. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Just, just the whole music industry in my, it's just gotten so corporate at that level.
0: And then when you get to kind of the uh, later half of the seventies and through the eighties, I kind of uh, checked out mentally to the rock scene. I was more into art Mm -hmm. music, you know, so I was getting into electronic music and uh, more avant-garde kind of stuff, you know? so So what got you going in that direction? ah there's just got to be something more than playing cover tunes (laughs) yeah so i just got i kind of you know because when you play clubs it's really hard to do original stuff because they just want to hear they want to hear what they want to hear and rightfully so because you know they've been working all week and they want to go out and have a few drinks and dance it up and they want to hear what's in their repertoire so, right. like, so original music doesn't really go off. And it was, I kind of, it's just a joke. But if it was kind of like, if I have to play Proud Mary one more time, I'm going postal.
1: Well, that just ruined what I was going to ask you to do to close this episode. So, okay, <laughs> never mind.
0: But, you know, <laughs> uh, man, but yeah, but I love those guys, you know, I mean, that, that was a, a great band, but I would just like, I got really tired of playing cover. and I just was like, I want to get more serious. So I, I was like, I was really into uh, orchestra. I mean, I was really into orchestra music. So I was really getting into, Stravinsky and Bartok and you know, all that kind of okay. stuff and I thought ah, that's what I want to do you know and then I went like you know good luck getting anything ever played by an orchestra and then all of a sudden you know and then at least playing bars was pay, you know hey pay, uh, paying the bills that was paying the bills yeah so I mean it's kind of like the more I got interested and wanted to evolve the less money I made <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, it's talking to, to my friends, you know, and, and people I've talked to on the show that aren't necessarily friends at the time, you know, that's, that's kind of been the, you know, did, did you take the vow of poverty? Yes. Um, oh, of
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just seems so, it yeah.
0: seems so, and I'm um, a, I'm, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a, I guess I'm a good Protestant in a way I still kind of carry it with me. And so there's that little bit of, got a little guilt on each shoulder that exchanges conversations as I walk through and share my opinions about life, you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> so like I, I mentioned when we started that, uh, you in 1970 at, at green river, you were in the jazz band. Yes. At least I know, I know, I know you at least were in jazz band for 1970 and it is my understanding that one of your compositions was performed by the band on
0: in competition? Is that uh, Yeah, I wrote a ton of stuff for him. The one we chose to perform at the 1972 Olympic Jazz Festival. Uh, was a piece okay. I wrote, uh, Foundation, uh, basic uh, I, uh, Isaac Asimov novel. You know, that was where my mm-hmm. head was uh, on okay. uh, that one. Was, and it was fun. Yeah, and Brookles uh, played piano in that. Uh, Grant Reeves, awesome. Uh, saxophonist and flautist uh, was in the band at the time yeah we had some great players we were just like this really fun out of the box collection of you know I was going to say weirdos I don't mean weirdos like you know everybody is weird but we were kind of like it just like you. Uh, our director was pat thompson and he did an amazing job of just getting like you know like normally it wasn't about our grades and it wasn't about did we look really you know clean and have the right haircut and all that kind of stuff most of us Mm -hmm. were pretty pretty out there but we knew how to collaborate and we knew how to play and we knew just how to make stuff up and improvise and uh, yeah, so I I even got a little award for the Olympic Jazz Festival for uh, for that. Um, but we we were kind of like um, under the auspices of the college, almost a, like a professional big band jazz band because we are always on tour and we played every college in the state of Washington. We went up to BC on tour and played about six or eight places we were always just you know putting on a show somewhere for something Mm
1: -hmm. and how many years did you did you were you with the band
0: at green river well i started i actually went and thanks to pat thompson um i went to i you know he just said hey why don't you go to school here so i got into the music department in 79. no no 69 69 sorry 69 and uh, and then I uh, you know got my AA degree I think it was in 71 but but because of all of the work that I've I had already done because I'd been to Nashville I played in bands and I toured and all that kind of stuff I ended up teaching at the same time because I've I always kind of joke that I've always done everything bass afterwards because I, you know, it's so like, Oh, let's go to school. Oh no, let's teach it at the same time that you're going to school. So that's kind of was was my thing. So I got, and then I, uh, I think it was about to about 73. So I was there from okay. about 69 to
1: 73. So you slipped in, you'd gone to Nashville. You just kind of, you just kind of, threw that in there <laughs> who did who did you go to nashville with
0: ah bonnie guitar
1: okay.
0: and uh and, and her get, daughter how'd you get connected to her? yeah and her daughter who was known at the time as you know her stage name was alexis mm-hmm. Yeah, and um and that was paula tutmark johnson as we've known her she's she passed away a couple of years ago but um we were just kids i mean i was like what just barely 18 Mm -hmm. yeah we went down and uh recorded in the rca nashville studio b i think it is it's the small how was that experience yeah oh that was mind-blowing because i was hanging out with chris christopherson and bucky wilkin and you know got all the all all of the country royalty you know at the time got to meet johnny cash there um Bobby Goldsboro, Chet Atkins. Really? Yeah. In all the
1: years that we've talked about this, you haven't shared those names with me before. So I'm, I'm. this is, this is cool.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I haven't thought about it for a while. actually. That's but, cool though. Um, that you- yeah. Let it, uh, I mean, I, I just like, I have really fond memories hanging out with Chris Christopherson. Uh, I don't know, taking straight shots smoking cigarettes sitting in this little GTO o, o, opal cadet
1: it was a simpler time. It was
0: before he was on the Johnny Carson show or not the Johnny Carson, the Johnny cash show before he like, it was just like right before he, you know, like, da here's Chris Christopherson, you know, but I was hearing all of those songs already. It was really amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: So going back to green river in in Brook Lazat, You know, when, so if somebody's listening to this, depending on in what order they're, they're listening to it, Renee, your episode will been published after Brooks. So they might be hearing this before listening to Brooks. (laughs) So I apologize to those folks. Well, you'll just have to go listen to Brooks. But one thing Brooks said, and he didn't say it on mic, So this is, you just have to trust me that this is what Brooks said. Um, is that you had a chord, and he wants to learn this chord, and it was just—it was really funny because. So here, here's my observation of Brook Lazat. Um. He has maybe the ideal setup for a musician.
0: Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah.
1: Because he is. Has, seemingly unlimited access to a, a wonderful studio space, uh, with a amazing concert piano. Yes. I, I'm and envious. And he practices.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and he
1: and even I, who am not a musician, walked in and went, "Oh, well, that's interesting." Look, I mean, it's, it it, it's, yeah, it's 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 a stunning piece of uh, instrument. And so this guy practices, you know, um, more in one day than most musicians probably practice in a month. I mean, he's just he is just able to hone his craft consistently. And so off off Mike, we were talking about you, and and he was like, Oh yeah, we did this song by Renee and da-da-da. And he has this chord, and, and I'm not a musician, and you know that, Renee, but I'm not a musician. And, but he goes, He has this chord, and I need him to teach me that chord. And I'm thinking to myself, You practice. All day, every day. How is it you don't know this chord? So, help me out here because it's like, what's the secret? Is this what is this chord, and why does he want you to teach? Yeah, I know. I mean, what's the deal? It's. it's, I feel like it's a martial art move or something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Some. Some.
0: You know, I don't know. So. Well, I I think, you know, it's like being in a rock band, being in a country band, being in a jazz band. You know, there's only so many notes and we all play them. Right. But we use them and, you know, we cajole them in different ways that, you know, that are kind of, are the emotional threads of whatever that style of music was. So when I was writing that stuff for, for the jazz band, I was actually getting into 12-tone music, and so I was borrowing stuff from like Schoenberg and stuff like that, and I was just throwing these chords in, you know, (laughs) and just, and so I think basically, what is it, a C13 sharp nine, something i you know if i i don't know that's like 40 some years ago i can't remember exactly but i have it on well, you know, i have the score so i was gonna copy the score and i'll email it to him because he in that piece that we played at the olympic jazz, uh, jazz festival yeah uh, he did a piano entry and an a- exit so it's like bookends piano and mm-hmm. uh and and uh you know, so I wrote that for him to play, and so, so I, I'm thinking that's the chords that he's he or at least the chord he's thinking of, you know. But I was really getting into like pentatonic scales and chords based on fifths and and all that kind of stuff, so I'm not quite sure which chord in there he's talking about, but I kind of have an idea that, uh, that, yeah.
1: Yeah, he was. It was funny just the way he described it to me and the way I took it. Let, let me put it to you that way. Let's, let's, let's. Now, this is, is that like you had this secret cord and you, you, you won't share it with anybody. It's, it's, you know, Rene Fabre and you've, yeah, it's your cord. And he's, he's like, I need him to teach me that. And I just, I yeah. just kind of chuckled. It was just, it was kind of funny to me because it's like, uh, after all these years, and,
0: it is, you know, you know, and I think, yeah. I You know, if I can claim kind of any kind of unique harmonic style in my writing was that I learned to compose from the guitar, and then I went to the piano. And on a guitar, okay. it's way more open. There's way more space between the notes when you build a chord where, you know, on piano, you can do clusters if you want to. The notes can be right next to each other. But in my hair... My hearing, I always got, like, I I kind of think guitar. There's a part of me that just thinks guitar. So that's always kind of the way I, I voiced things on the piano. Are you doing anything musically nowadays? I'm just kind of coming around, circle, to... Um, getting my back bedroom and my condo into a studio again so i'm just at the point where i'm putting the legos together again because i've got some ideas and i've done some stuff over the couple years but i've been grabbing from here i grab a little old do a little new and put them together and that kind of stuff and i haven't really uh been on it's really not about performing right now. It's just about like, what's my new language? Where am I I'm just kind of rediscovering okay. kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. But I mean, cause the world changed for me. I mean, smartphones coming, coming about, that was a big change for me because I love doing video and putting music to it that, and that's kind of the direction I think I'm kind of moving in. And I'm not like making movies, like movie movies with a plot and all that kind of stuff. I just like doing visuals and then doing the music with it. So, okay. yeah.
1: So I think of you as the Renton guy. <laughs> yeah. You grew up in Renton. You live in Renton. What's going on in Renton these days that's new and noteworthy,
0: in your opinion? Oh, man, we've had, uh, well, we've had the pandemic, but all those two years has been uh, the revitalization of downtown. So we got new curbs, new sidewalks, new sewers, new internet, new everything. You know, I mean, they've just done a big refresh and I love it because it's really attracting. I think we're finally over the hump because it's been so up and then down and then up and then down. Mm-hmm. I think we finally had a place where uh, the Renaissance is truly beginning for for Renton downtown, and I can't wait because I'm not a big fan of urban sprawl. I love little old downtowns that, to scale. That I just I, I do
1: so you I know you've listened to the show, and you know me quite well, so you know the next question's got to be uh where's a good place to get a cup of coffee in
0: right uh Boon Boona is one of my favorites yeah yeah
1: why why do you like Boon Boona Tell us elaborate on Oh uh,
0: well, that. I don't know how much I can elaborate but uh the the the, the coffees um from africa they uh you know it's all done in house they're not just buying it and shipping it in they're doing it all there and it's it's just a wonderful big space and very comfortable uh, it is it's a
1: remarkably large space yes yeah which i i like the space um the problem with a space like that is that five people in the space makes it still look empty Yes. So yeah. you go, oh, is it, it it doesn't it, it's just that it's like going into a large music hall that can hold say 500 people and there's only 100 and it looks like it's not very popular yet. There's 100 people there yeah. enjoying uh, everything. So it's Boon Boon's space is uh it's it's really kind of cool. I don't know. I was there pre-pandemic and then I was there I think you and I We went there once together. Yeah. Yeah. The last time, the last, I think the last time that you and I uh, met for coffee or we were trying to meet for coffee and they were kind of, you know, it was, they were, it was in that awkward phase mask. got You can't sit in this, you know, blah, 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 the whole thing. Um, but they were doing the an Ethiopian um, tea ceremony, or tea coffee ceremony there? You could re- I mean, we we need to do that one. I want so to do that, and, and I haven't. I'm yeah. guilty
0: too. But it, yeah, everything shut down kind of, and it was just right. like I don't think they've it. been
1: doing them. Yeah. I don't even know if they're doing them right now. But in the near future, we we need to coordinate that. I think that would be a kind of a fun. And there's a lot uh, of good places.
0: I look like at the Liberty Cafe too. If you just want like a really old school, rentin. Okay. Yeah, just.
1: I want to go grab a burger. Where's a good place? I
0: like the uh, Whistle Stop. It's one of my favorite okay. places. All right. Yeah.
1: And you know, I was going to tease you about Home Depot, but, you know, McClendon's.
0: McClendon's. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Well, I'm such a loyal McClendon fan, you know, because – it was the family, and then they sold it, and then I think they bought it back. But that was the only place. I just, especially when I had a house, I haven't had to deal with that. And then I've been a condo owner for quite a while. But right. I just, I could, I just remember so many Saturdays going there cause I had an old house and then some old thing broke down and I had to have it replaced and you could just walk up to somebody and just go, well, I got this thing and I'm trying to figure out how to fix it or replace it. And he goes give me a minute, I'll run upstairs, see, you uncheck, know, check, and it right. It was probably some part from the 40s or something like that, right. you know, that right. they haven't made for like, you know, 40 years or something, and, you know, they go find one, and I was like, I, I just yeah. love that input, or just anybody give him, give me your opinion, I didn't have to Google right. it, no. I actually got to talk to somebody.
1: I uh, know, McClendon's, is a and for those of you that don't know, McClendon's is a is is a uh, hardware store, and it's a chain, a small chain. Yeah. And uh, I, my experience with with McClendon's is always, you walk in, and you're like, "Well, first off, anybody that knows me knows I'm probably not walking into McClendon's because I hate, I am mechanically impaired. <laughs> I mean, I I am. My wife would be the one walking in with the with the the odd part going. This just fell out of the the dishwasher and. Guy, the person will look at it and go, "Well, that's a blah 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 forty two X." Go down to aisle seven, third row from the top exactly. in the brown cardboard bin. We got three left, and you know, I mean, you're like, huh? <laughs> and you never question the pricing. And not that the pricing is bad. You just you don't go there to save money. You go there to save time. Yes, yeah. yeah. because they their their knowledge their their their
0: knowledge is superior. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, other favorite places I like, Uh, well, being a bachelor, right, I hit the uh, Wajamaya <laughs> buffet <laughs> at least the buffet, yeah, or, right? once a week, right. you know, because, yeah, they have great food, okay. great food there, you know. And, uh, like okay. I said, Whistle stops one of my favorite hangs. So if you want to run into somebody who's been in Renton for a long time, it's a good neighborhood. Hang out. And, uh, okay. What is it?
1: Last question about Renton. Tell us something about Renton that that people, even most people in Renton wouldn't know. Like give us some obscure factoid about Renton.
0: Well, a lot of people do not know this, and that would go back to where we began this conversation, and that would be the uh, land donation claim okay. thing in that uh, Tobin uh filed one of the first claim uh number 35 in the washington territory donation land claim and and then uh so he's here he builds a mill on the black river he's at where cedar river meets black river which it doesn't anymore because again lake washington when the ship canal was built lowered so the Mm -hmm. the Cedar River used to arc over, never go into Lake Washington, hook into the Black River, which went over to Tuckwilla into the Duwamish, and then into the Sound. Okay, so, but long story short was just that uh, Tobin died and his widow Diane ends up marrying uh, the next door neighbor who has 160 acres. And so okay. they basically all all this whole valley right from south of the lake, almost to Kent, they had, and it was a big farm. And they never really made any money on the farm. They made money plating out rent and then selling lots. I mean, that's where the money okay. came from. Um, and when was that approximately? eighteen Let's see, eighties. Okay. And where did the name Renton come from? Uh, Captain Renton, who was a local investor because, what you know, uh, um, Tobin and all of that, uh, Captain Renton was uh, out here uh, investing in timber and coal. Okay. So I live up the hill from Renton. And if you know where City Hall is or the S curves in Renton, you know, the, the, the mine, coal, there used to be a coal mine right right there. And so they right discovered there. coal and they had a timber mill. And, uh, okay. Yeah, that's where a lot of that money, their money came from on that one. But Renton was a big investor in that kind of stuff.
1: All right. I always ask this question to wrap things up. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, one of the things we didn't touch on, and I'll make it really super brief, is in between uh, adventures, early 80s, I ended up at the Center for Contemporary Music okay. at uh, Mills College in Oakland. And um, mm-hmm. that was another adventure, and that's kind of really where I got in on kind of my later phases. A lot of that um, uh, but I always I, I, I mean one of my pride and joy is I was studying for my master's degree and I didn't I couldn't afford the equipment nor did I have the space at that time. So I bought a Commodore 64 and that's what I did my graduate thesis on.
1: You did your graduate thesis on a Commodore 64.
0: Totally, because it has a three-voice programmable synthesizer in it. <laughs> Talk about a minimalist, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> but it totally works. It totally works. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. So thank you for making this happen. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while, and uh, you, you've been a... Uh, very kind listener and offered feedback uh through the up through the almost two years that we've been doing this. So I, I I feel in some ways I feel guilty that I didn't have you on earlier. <laughs> um but I appreciate you taking the time today. And oh, I know, I got a question for you. You do have some music available like on SoundCloud, right?
0: On SoundCloud, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff there. Uh, okay, and so I have we'll, also we'll have a, a YouTube channel that
1: uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that. Is, is there any other places that people could find out more about you?
0: Uh, yeah, that's I mean, pretty much. I social I'm media on, to you know, real estate, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, blah blah blah.
1: You know. Uh, I mean, you do teach social media to real estate agents. You. Yeah, and that's kind of what examples. that's my gig. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All right, Renee. Well.
1: I really appreciate you taking the time, and I've had a lot
0: of fun. Thanks, Scott. I I hope this wasn't like too too absolutely random. (laughs) No, and you know what?
1: No, it's not. It was fun.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Scott.